right, hello. My name is Bert. If we have not yet met, I get to help lead Anthony Turo, one of our two churches that are collaborating on this summer series together. Before we dive in too much today, I want to let you guys know something that's going to be happening next week. Next week is kind of our official last week of our Devoted Church series together. And what we're going to be doing is we're actually going to be closing out our time kind of rallying around what it means to be the devoted church with a bit of storytelling. So all I want to do right now is is prime the pump and for you to be asking God if there's something that he might want you to share with our two church communities next week. I'm going to, you know, Stephen, I'll pre-ask a few of you guys, but I want you guys all to be praying and considering, has has the Lord been teaching you guys something? Has he been doing something in you? Has he been forming you or shaping you in a way that would be an encouragement to others here in the room. That's what we're going to be doing next week as we close out officially this summer series together. Steve read for us our primary teaching text over the summertime. We've been reading it every single week. We've been teaching out of it every single week. And really, why we've been doing that is because after a year, going on a year and a half, going on maybe two years of this COVID disruption, it was a divine opportunity to orient ourselves around what it actually means to be the church. To be the church in and out of season. To be the church in any time or place. The cultural context, the political context. And if you guys noticed, but right around March 2020, moving into April 2020, stuff started creeping up in culture. Maybe stuff that was under the radar, underground, started surfacing. Maybe some stuff started surfacing in you that was not good. I know for us, really early on, Sherry and I revealed some stuff in our marriage that needed some immediate attention. Some ways we're not communicating healthily. I know in our church, it started to raise some issues that we needed to figure out. And I think as the church, and certainly as our two churches, it revealed how we were faking disciples, not necessarily making disciples. Through the rote patterns and rhythms that we had developed unchecked before COVID, you and I were able to walk into this room, put on our good face, and say everything is great. And then all it takes is one little global pandemic to disrupt a lot of that, and suddenly you're not fine. And there's not even a room to walk into to pretend you're fine. And it tests us, it challenges us, like Peter talks about this refining fire. It tests whether the faith is genuine. And that has been one of the great victories and great tragedies of this last two years or so. It has been a testing fire, a refining fire. And some have not made it out. Others of you have been strengthened and bolstered and encouraged. And for us, as we were thinking about what do we do with this summer, really for both our churches, this first opportunity to gather weekly, in sort of these larger groups and online, but what do we do with this season? This is a moment we don't want to pass up and just do business as usual. How do we actually take this to prepare us for what's ahead, for the difference that's going to come later? And so this is a bit of a rebuilding moment, and we wanted to make sure we were building on the right things, not on preference, not on agenda, not on tradition, but the things we actually see here in Scripture, which is why we've been orienting every single sermon and reading that text before every single sermon to orient ourselves of the core essence of that kind of first explosion of the early church. What was important? 
Jews lived language? What was the church devoted to? What were they loyal to? What were they committed to from the very start? Because of their commitment to Jesus, what then were they committed to? So over the summer, we started off by saying, first and foremost, they and we must be devoted to Jesus above all. It feels like table stakes, but it's worth remembering. But before we talk about any of these other things, it actually has to come from Jesus, our devotion to and relationship with Jesus. Because we will not get mission, we will not get generosity, we will not get community if we're not first devoted to Christ. But out of that place, what is the church devoted to? What must we be devoted to? We're devoted to Scripture. We're devoted to each other. We're devoted to the table, to the Lord's Supper. We're devoted to prayer, worship, generosity, like Steve talked to you last week. We're devoted to mission. These are the essentials, the essence of the church. And so today, what I want to do is take a few moments just to circle back around to the beginning, where we started, and ask the simple question, what are we actually devoted to? What are we devoted to? Where have we been looking for satisfaction, for fulfillment? What do we sacrifice for? What do we at all costs rearrange our life to get after? It's easy to point out there and kind of use that question as an accusatory question to the world around us. But what if we had the courage to look inward? What am I actually devoted to? What, what would, if someone were to look at your bank account and your calendar for the last year, what would they say you're devoted to? What are we actually devoted to? Because one of the things this COVID disruption has done is it's revealed who's actually king in our life. It's revealed who's actually important in our life. Have you guys noticed churches are smaller than they were two years ago? When you think about sex, think about the king you are devoted to. Where have we looked for all the kingdom results without actually submitting to King Jesus? We've talked about this before. I think, honestly, the church without Jesus as his king will run after all the good kingdom things, but run about them all the wrong way. They'll run after unity. We will run after unity, but without Jesus as our king, unity is not genuinely caring for each other, sacrificing for each other. It means glossing over differences so we don't ruffle each other's feathers. When we talk about diversity, without Jesus as our king, diversity is simple tokenism. It's not actual reconciliation. We talk about justice. Without Jesus as our king, the best we can hope for is virtue signaling versus sacrificial love. When we talk about satisfaction, the best we can hope for are leaky wells that run dry. Not Jesus reminds us, a well that never runs dry. Here's the truth. We all want the good stuff of the kingdom of God. We all want the beautiful utopian world. But often we go about that all the wrong way. So nine weeks later, I'm essentially asking the same question that we did when we opened up. What are we devoted to? What are we devoted to? If we want to be devoted to Jesus and all that he calls us to, 
that won't happen by accident. Can I tell you, churches two years ago were filled with people who thought devotion to Jesus would just happen to them. And then when disruption comes, it happens. It will not happen by accident or just by wishing it so. If you just think hard enough, if you just believe hard enough, it'll just happen to you. This devotion to Jesus takes two things. It takes participation on your part, and it takes intentionality. It takes purpose. So here's my premise for the morning, and here's what we're going to dig into. Devotion is formed by our worship. What you worship is what you're devoted to. What is king in your life is what you'll actually sacrifice for and be loyal to and be committed to. So devotion is formed by our worship. Whatever you worship as king, you will be devoted to and thus make all the sacrifices necessary to continue your devotion of that thing. And who or what we worship forms us into the kind of people that either, one, conform to the world around us, or two, can be transformed from the inside out by Jesus. Devotion is formed by our worship. And who or what we worship forms us into the kind of people that either get conformed to the world around us and look just like everybody else, or two, can be transformed by Jesus from the inside out. Devotion is about worship. And worship is about formation, how you are actually formed. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans, chapter 12. There are a couple of fascinating verses Paul gives us here in Romans, chapter 12, that we are going to camp out on. Romans, chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore... Brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, what? Worship. Okay, three things about worship in these couple of verses. The first, as noted here by brothers, or we can read brothers and sisters, or we can read all y'all, everybody, is that everybody worships. And this is not even a uniquely Christian thing, this is a human thing. Everybody longs for something to put their worth. Longs for some place to put their worth. Everybody. Every single person. This is not a uniquely Christian thing. Paul's not talking to pastors. He's talking to the church. But we can even broaden this. Everybody worships. Everybody does. Whether it's a hero, possession, success, pleasure, money, a political cause, whatever it is, the way we live and behave shows what we actually worship. It's in our very nature to worship. And that inner drive is actually God-given. The disaster is as a result of sin, we have replaced the object of worship. And Paul even says in Romans 1 that we switch something, we've exchanged, we now worship the creation, not the creator. created to worship. Every single human was created to worship, and the result of sin is now we try to look for better things to worship. Things that are in front of us, things that are tangible, things that pay off in this life, in the short term, 
things that give worldly results like success, a well-behaved family, a good career, a good legacy. So we swap. We exchange these good things that God has given us, like money, like legacy, like family, like career, and we've made them God. It frames its appearance in how we all live. It's not, this is not some hidden private secret sin thing. It is obvious by how we live our lives, by how we calendar, by how we budget, by how we act, by how we behave. It is obvious who or what we worship. Everybody worships, no matter the object. And there's always something offered up in service of that worship. Obedience, loyalty, monetary sacrifice, time sacrifice, affection, adoration, respect, value. There's always something at the altar of that object of worship. So everybody worships. Number two, truth about worship is just active and passive. Look again at Romans. Go to Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. Okay, this is really important because often we get this backwards. Conforming is a choice. Conforming is a choice. You choose, you make decisions to allow yourself to be molded and shaped by something or someone. You get to choose. What are you going to be conformed by or conformed to? And so the command here is an active one. Do not be conformed. This is the active command here in verse 2. But look what he says. Do not be conformed, but what? Be transformed. Transformation is a supernatural process. It's something that's done to you. It's the result of God's Spirit at work in your life. Be transformed. It's like this passive instruction. It's open yourself up to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Don't be conformed. That's the active command. But open yourself up to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Writer and author James K. Smith says this, Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabilitates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do, it's where God does something to us. Worship is at the heart of discipleship because it's the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. Here's the reality. We read Romans 12, verse 2, we often reverse that. We often think conforming is something that just happens to us. So we shrug our shoulders, we go, it's inevitable, I have to dress this way, I have to act this way, I have to spend money this way, because everyone else does. And we think transformation is something we can just muster on our own. If I just believe, if I'm just more convicted, if I just think hard enough, it will happen. And we reverse what Paul is saying here in these simple two commands. What you are devoted to is what you love. Like Jesus said, where your treasure is, there also is your heart. What are you devoted to? Paul's instruction is you choose where you, where you get to conform to. Then God is the one who transforms you from the inside out. Get muster transformation on your own. If you're wondering why you're not changing, because you're just thinking harder? If you're wondering why you can't break that bad habit just because you want to break that bad habit? It's because you're still conforming to the world and just hoping transformation comes because you want it to come. Paul's instruction is when you are conformed to the image of Jesus, transformation comes. When you start to align your life more to the way of Jesus and less 
like the way of the world. Transformation happens from the inside out. Number one, everybody worships. Number two, worship is active and passive. Number three, worship forms and it deforms. What you are devoted to is what you love. It will form you. What you love forms who you are. The things you do do something to you. So if our desire is to follow and be changed by Jesus, then we must love and worship and be devoted to Jesus over things like our job or money or family or whatever that thing is. Because worship forms and it deforms. Jesus said you can't serve two masters, right? You'll either, what? Love one or hate the other. You'll be devoted to one not the other. You can't have it both ways. Jesus, of course, is talking about money. So you can't serve God and money. But Jesus knows at the root of our idolatry is often money and success. So you can't serve two masters. You can't have it both ways. Worship forms us into the image of Jesus by directing our loves, our devotion to Him over other things, and it deforms us from the image of the world by directing our loves, our devotion to Him over other things. Or, it can be the other way around. Here's the beauty. So you can choose. What will you be conformed by? This is not something that happens to you. You get to choose with your mindset, with your life, your behavior, your time, attention, your money, what you are formed by. What you are conformed to. says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Same author, once again, James K. Smith, says this about Christian worship. We should recognize Christian worship is essentially counterformation to those rival liturgies, which is the way you live, we are often immersed in. Cultural practices that covertly capture our love and longing, miscalibrating them, orienting us to rival versions of the good life. Liturgy, as I'm using the word, is a shorthand term for those rituals that are loaded with an ultimate story about who we are and what we're for. They carry within them a kind of ultimate orientation. So Christian worship is counter-formation. Have you ever sing a song that James or Jeff leads us in, and I'm maybe slightly convicted that you don't feel that lyric is quite true anymore. That's okay. That's all right. Because just by singing it, we're opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit to start doing stuff with us. Prone to wander, make that feel. Prone to leave the God I love. What? Take my heart. Opening ourselves up. Take my heart and spirit. What worship does to us is it counterforms us. That song is going to trail you as you leave here. As you head to lunch, as you head to dinner, as you head to your work week or your school week or whatever's coming up, prone to wander. I think that's going to rattle inside your head. Prone to leave the God I love. Yeah, that's the truth. Devotion is about worship. Carlos did a great job reminding us about that a few weeks ago. Where our idols are, where our worship is. Worship is also about formation. It forms who you are. And if we're not into 
about our devotion to and worship of Jesus, or if you think worship is just those songs on a Sunday, we fool ourselves into thinking that worship is something that it's not. It's just a few songs and nothing more. It's that sweet Hillsong album in the car. That sweet Maverick City drop. Whatever it is, we think that's it. But it doesn't touch anything else. I get my feel-good fuzzies, and then I can move on with my day. It is about so much more. And when we do that, we leave ourselves open and ready to be formed by the world around us. As we are so limited what worship actually is. The truth is, we are always being formed into something. The great theologian Martin Luther reminds us that there are three great enemies of spiritual growth, of spiritual formation, if you will. The world, the flesh, the enemy. The world, the culture around us, the flesh, our own inward desire, and Satan and his demons, the enemy. All are trying to deter us and detract us from being formed into the image of Jesus. There's a powerful forces that are at work from the moment you wake up, whether you like it or not. That's why at least in our church over the last couple of years, we've been really focused on just some basic practices to counter that formation. Things like Bible before Sunday. It's like putting your phone in a different room. So let me just, if this, this has become a practice that's been in our household that has been like nothing short of life changing. If the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is reach over, grab my phone, start scrolling, I'm immediately being formed by the emails, the news stories, the social media, the text messages, and not by Jesus. Simple, tiny practice of rebellion in my day to the world around me. So first and foremost, if it's a moment of quiet, if it's reciting Psalm 23, if it's remembering the Lord's Prayer, if it's heading straight to Scripture, or if it's just like rolling out of bed and for a moment saying, Jesus, my day is yours. I'm already being formed into a different way, but it takes intentional practices to counter the formation of the world around us. The question is not, are you being formed, but who or what are you being formed by? Take a mental inventory right now. The question is not, are you being formed? That's a difficult question to never ask. What do you love the most? What do you make time for the most? What do you sacrifice for the most? In part, the answer to that question is also the answer to the question, what do you devote to? Paul, here, in Romans 12, these two brilliant verses, gives us a renewed vision for being devoted to Jesus. His answer to the conforming power of the world is to be transformed. How? He goes on to say, by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Which means something in you has to change. Something in you has to be renewed, reactivated. The process starts in your mind. What you think about, what you ingest, what you read, what you listen to, what you watch, all forms your mind. And Paul says transformation comes from the renewing of your mind. So that we can test and discern what is the will of God. Paul says the will of God can be known. Did you catch that? 
If our mind is renewed, and we're not being conformed to the world, but rather to Christ, we're being transformed from the inside out, we can know the will of God. What is good? What's acceptable? What's perfect? We can be ready to receive those things. How many of you guys would love to know the will of God? I certainly would. Worship, devotion is more than just singing on Sunday. It's certainly not less, but it is certainly more. And somehow, by offering up, to quote Paul, our entire bodies, our entire lives, our minds are renewed, and our lives are transformed. So, we start by offering up every part of us, our schedule, our bank account, our voice, our speech, our thought patterns, we give time to our physical, actual bodies. That's why like prayer postures or worship postures are really helpful to align our hearts and our minds. We start by offering up everything inside of us. We're choosing to be conformed by Jesus and how we spend and how we make time and how we are committed and present with each other. Then God goes about transforming us from the inside out. Gives us a renewed mind. Our lives are transformed. And can actually not even just know, but stay in step with the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. And it starts by offering up your life. So what part of you are you unwilling to give to Jesus? What, what part of you do you hold back? You say, ah, that's for somebody else, it's not for me. Worship that restores us is worship that restores us. We buy into a different story for life. We buy into a different version of the good life. Because we have this renewed mind, a renewed vision for devotion to Jesus. Here's the reality. We're not living a true life of worship from Monday to Saturday. God does not care what you do on Sunday. Worship has to be more than what we do here. It's not less. It's not your ticket out of Sundays. But it has to be more. David reminds us in Psalm chapter 21, one of his most famous psalms, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I did it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. A bit of what Paul said in Romans 12 is a reforming of what David said in Psalm 51. Transformation comes from the inside out. David's time, a person could only approach God with a sacrifice or an offering. It's how you show your devotion and worship. David understood that God truly desired a heart that was humble before him. It's not something that happens overnight. Thank the Lord Jesus. But it's something that can only be accomplished through a lifestyle of worship. But here's the thing. I don't want to stop in those two verses because David says, if we get the heart right, our posture, our desire, our love. God actually loves our worship. Look at this, verse 19. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. God desires a contrite, broken heart, a broken spirit. 
Once he has that, he loves your worship. Bring it. Sing those songs. Give that money. Give up your time. Whatever it is. Like whatever that spiritual act of worship is, God loves it if he's got your heart. He despises it if he doesn't have your heart. What are we devoted to? Our devotion reveals our worship. Everybody worships actively, passively, and it forms and deforms us. So to be devoted to Jesus actually takes an active rejection of the other things that try to make themselves the object of our worship. When we conform ourselves to Christ, our whole selves are transformed. So, if our lives have not been transformed, how do we actually conform our lives to Jesus? If you're not seeing that change that you hope for in your life, how do you actually conform your life to Jesus? If you can't break that habit or that addiction, how do you actually start it by conforming to Jesus? If you're not experiencing financial freedom, how do you start it by conforming your life to Jesus? If you feel stuck in a rut at your job, how do you start it by actually conforming your life to Jesus? That comes Devotion is formed by our worship, and our worship forms us into the kind of people that can be transformed by Jesus. And the gospel says this kind of conforming and transforming are possible through the love of God. The finished work of Christ and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Paul reminds us in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is through his power, what he achieved on the cross and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, that we can be changed. It is beautiful. It is possible. It's promised. It's expected. But it's not inevitable. Did you guys hear that? It's promised. It's expected. And it's possible. But it is not inevitable just because we want it to be. It takes participation and intentionality. Part of my notes, I get one of two ways here. I think I'm going this morning to trust the Holy Spirit enough to not telegraph what it is in your life that needs to change. I trust the Holy Spirit's at work convicting doing what he does best. And so I think we want to end by drawing our eyes to Paul's word in Colossians 3. And we're actually going to go into worship, so would you stand with me? And if you're comfortable, if you're able, go ahead and stand. And as a simple bodily posture, just put your hands out in front of you. Now, this is not mystical. It doesn't make you into a charismatic overnight. It just simply puts your body in a posture that we want our heart to be in, which is to receive. We have open hands. We want to receive. That's the posture we want for our heart. So we just got to model that with our bodies. As Paul says, present your body. So we're going to do that. Colossians 3. If, then, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put away them all. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which, indeed, you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Jesus, help us put on the new self, put off the old self. We know this can only happen by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us, but we know we need to partner with you in that. Give us boldness to obey, confidence to pursue you, and a trust that the life you promise us is better than the life of this world. Would you help us desire to worship you, to be devoted to you? Would you help us want to want to worship you? Thank you.